invite you to open your copy of God's Word this morning. We will be once again in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3 today, verses 1 through 10. Our sermon title is Separation Anxiety. You know, it's a difficult thing to be apart, be away from those that you care about. Whether it is your spouse or your significant other, uh, I know it's hard sometimes for children to be separated from their parents. You know, we see that sometimes here at church in the nursery when a child's not used to being away from their parents or, or just having a bad day, separation anxiety. Or it goes the other way too, uh, parents being sad, they're separated from their children. Uh, I read, I believe, on Facebook this week that Sam started driving on his own. Am I right, Rhonda? And, and she had wrote on there that she had uh, texted a few times on the way, uh, texted Mary to make sure they were okay. Uh, separation anxiety from parents. I can remember when my kids started kindergarten. Uh, when Logan started and then a few years later Kylie started. And I remember the, uh, the separation anxiety that was there. And I remember the, the reassuring words. You know, it's going to be okay. I remember uh, choking back of the tears. You know, I, I did okay until I got to the car, and then, uh, you know, emotions kind of took the best of me, I do confess. But, uh, you know, we are uh, sad when we are separated from those that we love. And today we're going to see in the book of First Thessalonians, Paul's writing in this letter, expressing his sadness over the separation between he and those Christians that he loved very, very dearly. But, you know, it went beyond just an emotional attachment for Paul. You know, he was also worried about their spiritual condition. You see, he hadn't been with them for very long. They uh, come to accept Christ as their Savior, and then Paul abruptly had to leave because of the, of, the, of the riot that broke out there in the city. And Paul was worried about their spiritual condition. I believe Paul sets a good example for us that you should make the spiritual well-being of others a top priority in your life. As you care for other people emotionally, we also should do the same spiritually. Make the spiritual well-being of others a top priority in your life. I want to invite you to stand if you're able to this morning. This is in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, these words were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being here with us today, for for drawing us into this building and into this room that we might come together for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of edification. God, for the purpose of worship. Our hearts, I pray God, are tuned in to you that God, no distraction will keep us from hearing what you have in store for us today. And Father, that no stubbornness in our heart would keep us from responding in the way that you would have us to. Father, have your way with us as we enter into your word. May your word enter into us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've been working our way through this book of the Bible, we see that the early parts of this letter, Paul is expressing his, his gratitude, his joy, his love for this church. They were people that he held very close to his heart. And we saw at the end of chapter 2 that he has made repeated attempts to return to them in person but was unable to thus far. And so he writes this letter as a temporary substitute for his presence there with them. We saw in chapter 2, verse 17, that Paul was very eager to see them. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person but not in spirit, we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. In verse 20, he says, For you are our glory and our joy. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Therefore. Now remember the word therefore. Don't pass it until you remember what it's there for. It reminds you of everything that was just said. Paul says, because of my great love and my my affection and my eagerness to see you again, therefore, we see Paul writes these words. And he sets for us a good example when we consider our devotion, our concern for the well-being of others. The first thing is that, be concerned for others' faith. Be concerned for the faith of others. Paul said, therefore, because of that strong spiritual connection he had for them, he was very concerned for them. Now, how, how can you express your concern toward the spiritual well-being of others? First of all, maintain a selfless focus. A selfless focus. Verse 1, therefore, when we can endure it no longer. Paul said, we couldn't stand it anymore. It's, it's the image, have you ever put water in a, in, a, in a balloon and just watch it as it, it just swells and swells and swells. So it gets to the point, it can't contain any more water, and then it just bursts. Paul perhaps was thinking with his heart like that, we couldn't endure it any longer. We couldn't stand it anymore. I think of Popeye, what does he say? It's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. Maybe that was Paul's heart here. He said, I can't. Well, we couldn't endure it any longer. We couldn't take it anymore. He said, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. There's the Apostle Paul. He's in a foreign city. 
as a Jew in a, in a pagan city, a very godless city, as we read about in Acts chapter 17. And Paul says, you know, uh, Timothy is very near and dear to me, but we thought it was best that, that he would go and check on you all. And I would just be here alone in this city. Paul was more concerned for their well-being than he was his own comforts. That selflessness. And you need that if you're going to be concerned for other people. Paul said, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. We read in the book of Acts, there was a period of time where, where Timothy apparently went back to Thessalonica and, and Silas went on elsewhere in Macedonia and Paul was all alone. But yet he said, it's more important for me to know how you're doing than for the comfort of my dear friends. Maintain a selfless focus. Secondly, maintain a servant flexibility. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be willing to serve in whatever capacity and however God opens the door for you. Look at, at Timothy's example in verse 2. He says, And we sent Timothy, and notice his reputation here, our brother. Paul says, Very near and dear to me and to Silas, and he's also very near and dear to you. He is, he's your brother in Christ. He said, Our brother and also God's fellow worker. In the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, the good news uh, that Jesus is the source of the good news, and Jesus is the subject of the good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no good news, is there? But notice he said he is God's fellow worker. Now we might read that and say, well, he's a fellow worker with us for God, but really the way it reads, interestingly enough, Paul says he is a fellow worker with God in the gospel. And that's an amazing truth. You and I as believers, we are the instruments by which God reaches the lost with that good news. You know, God could just bypass us and go to them directly, but no, He has chosen to use you and I as the vehicles, as, as the containers, uh, the jars of clay of the treasure of the good news so you and I can be conduits of God. Therefore, we are laboring with God with that good news of the gospel. What a privilege. Brothers and sisters, what a, what a responsibility and what a joy we have to be co-workers with God in the gospel ministry. So we tell people the good news of Jesus. That's Timothy. He says, he's our brother and God's fellow worker. And, and Paul says, Timothy, we want you to go back to Thessalonica. And Timothy said, okay, if that's the Lord's will, that's what I'll do. That's flexibility there. In the drop of a, in the drop of a, 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 of a bucket, the flip of a coin, whatever God wants me to do, the drop of a hat. He said, we sent him to you to do what? To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Your faith. Paul, in, a, in these ten verses, talks about your faith five times. It's the dominant theme of this passage. Paul was concerned about their faith, their trust, their following in Jesus. That was what was on Paul's heart and mind. And so when Timothy went there, it was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Timothy didn't just show up and say, hey, how's it going, y'all? Man, it's wonderful weather we're having lately, isn't it? What about them Wildcats yesterday? And you know, two wins. We're two and zero for the first time in three years. Wow! Hey, how's the kids? Everything good? All right then. Well, looks like you're all doing okay. You know, if you need anything, just holler. We'll, 
We'll see you later. No, he was there to strengthen and encourage him in the faith. How are you all holding up in your, in your faith? How are you trusting in Christ? I know times are hard. I know Paul is separated from you. Uh, we're worried, we're concerned. How are you doing in relation? How is your walk with God? That was what the ministry was all about. If you're going to be concerned for the spiritual well-being of others, you've got to be concerned about their faith. It's more than just a sentimental connection, a friendship. It's faith. And Timothy was a servant in that regard. But also you need to maintain a stabilizing force because of the difficulties and the afflictions. You need to be the one who helps to stabilize and strengthen. That's what that word there at the end of verse 2 he says, to strengthen. That's, that's to reinforce a building. Make sure it doesn't topple. Make sure it doesn't blow away. This week, Brother Tommy and I were up in the attic in here doing some work, and, and there are beams and beams and beams, great big old beams, and, and lots of bolts and lots of things holding this. It's built like a tank. It's reinforced. It's been strengthened, and that's the picture here. Timothy was to go there and to strengthen their faith, to solidify their faith. Why? Because verse 3 talks about the afflictions. If you, you need to help to maintain a person's faith in the midst of afflictions. How do you do that? Well, first of all, your presence in the afflictions and during the afflictions are, is important. That you are there with them. Paul says in verse, in verse 2, to, to send Timothy to you to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, verse 3, so that... The reason to send Timothy to do that, the, the result they were hoping for is that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. No one would be agitated and upset. That Timothy would be there to help solidify and strengthen them. To stabilize them and say, folks, you know, I'm here to testify. To strengthen and encourage you. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. He was there to remind them, this isn't something that's caught God by surprise. This isn't some accident that God said, oh, how am I going to get them out of this? He says, we've been destined for this. And your presence with someone who is hurting and going through afflictions is very, very crucial. Very beneficial. You might think, I don't know what to say. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. I'm just to be there. Just be there with them. Your presence in afflictions, but also your preparation for afflictions. You can help one another. We can help one another by preparing one another for the difficulties and the trials that come. Verse 4, he says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. They, they told them repeatedly. Now, folks... You come to Christ and you feel the joy of the Lord and it is a beautiful thing. It is, it is a wonderful experience. But understand, it's not all going to be a rose garden. There's going to be some trials and tribulations that are going to come your way. Your faith is going to be rocked and tested. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. That's why I don't understand this, this whole prosperity gospel, those preachers that get on the radio and the TV and say, you know, you come to Jesus, everything will be swell. God wants you so happy. It's all about your happiness. We kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. 
We tell folks bad times are coming. It's just a way of God testing us and a way of God building up our faith. Be ready for it. Don't get stunned and blindsided like, what's going on here? What's this all about? I'm a Christian. How come, how come I'm going through afflictions? We prepare one another. Say, folks, you know, hard times are coming, but I'm here with you. But more importantly, the Lord's with you. He's got a purpose in these afflictions. And I'm here to help solidify, strengthen, and stabilize your faith so you won't be disturbed when these things come. Maintain a stabilizing force, but also maintain a suspect fear. Verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, it's all I can stand. When we can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. I didn't send to find out about all these trivial things. I wanted to know, how's your walk with God? Why was he worried about it? For fear. For fear that the tempter, who's a tempter? It's Satan. Paul talked about him in the end of chapter 2. A, a literal personal devil a spiritual being that hates God he hates you he hates the gospel he hates your faith he wants to disturb your faith and shake your faith he says for fear that the tempter might have come and tempted you and our labor would be in vain Paul said you know we're concerned about you because we don't want your faith to be just some temporary flash in the pan that when those seeds are scattered, that they would take root in, in deep soil and not that shallow soil that grows up for a while. And Jesus said the persecution comes and it just shrivels up because there's no root. I've been ministry long enough, unfortunately, to have seen that. Some folks come and they, and they claim to find Jesus and they're all fired up and they've found religion. And then a few weeks pass, a few months pass, Maybe a couple of years and then suddenly, you know, they're, they're gone. And Paul says, we care about you too much. We, we, we have a, a suspect fear that our labor will be in vain. We want to know that you are persevering because that's the mark of a true believer. You will, you must, you will persevere till the end. That doesn't say your faith doesn't sometimes waver. That doesn't say you sometimes don't stray the way you shouldn't be, but if you are legit, God will keep you. And you will persevere. And Paul was saying, we were concerned that your faith started strong. We didn't want our labor to be in vain. You know, my kids are really into Legos. You all know what Legos are, those little plastic building blocks, and they, and they buy those those, those sets and they're you know all these hundreds and thousands of pieces and they got these instructions and it's daddy daddy you know build this for me build this for me you know, so we go to the kitchen table and dump out all those things all over the table and you start separating all the different colors and you try to follow the directions and it takes forever and a lot of frustration and, and finally it comes together and, and there's there's the object you've been trying to build and the kids run off and go play with it. And then later on, you're walking down the hallway and all of a sudden you step, ow! What in the world? And you turn around and look and there's Lego pieces laying in the floor. And you find out that that creation that you worked so hard on building, it, it has all come to naught. 
you know, because it's all been torn apart. You know, a little brother or, or somebody's come and grabbed a hold of it, and there it's gone. Your labor was in vain. Paul said, we didn't want that. That's why we can't leave you alone. That's why you're not just forgotten. We're concerned about your spiritual well-being. And that's the way we need to be for one another. Be concerned for others' faith, but also be comforted by others' faith. You know, your faith is a great source of comfort to you. At least it should be. When you go through hard times, know you have got a faith that, that is built on the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. That should comfort you. But did you know that the faith of your other brothers and sisters in Christ can also comfort you? That's what Paul says. He says, first of all, be grateful for their salvation. Verse 6, he says, but now. Literally, it is, it's Timothy has shown up and said, Paul, i got some good news for you. Those Thessalonian believers, they're still solid in the faith. And Paul says, all right, I can't wait. Paul pulls out the parchment and, and the ink and begins to write. But now it's like immediately the news has come to Paul's ears and he can't contain it. And so he writes this letter. And he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us what? Good news. Do you know what that word is? Gospel. The same word that's used in the Bible to talk about sharing the faith to others, telling other people that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, so that through, through trusting in Him and surrendering to Him, a person might have all of their sins wiped clean. And so that person who was spiritually dead can be made alive as, as the Holy Spirit breathes life into their heart and so that they can have hope and a future and a walk with the powerful, almighty Creator right here and right now. The Gospel, the good news. Paul uses that same word. Timothy came to us and brought us the Gospel of your faith. The Gospel is the Gospel not only to the lost, it's also good news to the saved to know that someone else is still trusting in Jesus and trusting in Him alone for their salvation. We should be grateful to hear that. That should comfort us to know that the same Jesus I'm trusting in, He's trusting in, she's trusting in. And I'm so grateful to hear, Paul says, the gospel good news of your faith, your love. How do we know a person has been saved? What's some of the evidence? Well, Paul talks about a few of these things. First of all, looking to the Lord. He says, we were, we were grateful, the good news of what? Your faith, that they are looking to the Lord still as their source of salvation. So we rejoice when you know that someone is looking to the Lord through, through faith but also loving others. Loving others. Love, an unselfish devotion for the well-being of others. Loving God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know, the vertical dimension of love has to be accompanied with a, with a horizontal dimension. A love for God leads to a love for people. If there's no love for people, then there's no love for God because God is love. And Paul says, when you see that, when you see someone loving, it's the evidence of salvation. 
Loving others. Loyalty to leadership. That's not on your outline there. I came to that uh, later in the week. But you might want to jot that down. That's a good one. Loyalty to leadership. Paul says in verse 6, and that you always think kindly of us. Always remember us well. Paul says, even though we weren't with you, Timothy tells us that you still have a respect for us. You still have a, have a, 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 an admiration and, a, and an affection for us. Now that's, that's important. As, as, a, as a follower of God, to have respect for those whom God has placed under their charge. The Bible says that those of us who are, who are shepherds and leaders, that, that we have to give an account for the souls of those we lead. And the book of Hebrews says, in, in that regard, don't make their job difficult. Be loyal to them. not saying they're perfect, but follow their leadership as long as you know God is leading them. Loyalty to leadership. Also longing for the brethren. In the end of verse 6, he says, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. A desire for fellowship. A desire to be around other Christians. A desire to to, to, to disciple one another. Hold each other accountable. That is a, a sign of salvation. A strong desire, longing to see us, just as we long to see you. You can hear Timothy telling you, you guys, Paul is just, he longs to see you so much. And they were saying, "Well, tell him we feel the same way. Tell him we can't wait to see Paul again, that he can join us and we can worship together, and he might disciple us some more." It's a sign of salvation longing for the brethren, but also we should be grateful not only for the salvation of others, but for the steadfastness of others. Paul says in verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Their faith was the vehicle through which God comforted Paul. Their salvation, their faith. Verse 8, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. It's as if Paul says, Now we can breathe a sigh of relief. Finally, we know they're okay. We know they're firm in the faith. Finally, I got that text message back that says my kids are okay. No no troubles on the road. Paul says, now we really live if you stand firm in the faith, that you are steadfast, that you haven't backed down one inch in your commitment to Jesus. Paul says, we can breathe. Sigh of relief. For now, we live. If you're steadfast, you know stubbornness can be a negative trait. But it could also be a positive one if you're stubborn for the right things. Paul says as Christians, we should be stubborn and stand firm and refuse to budge in our commitment to Christ. And when you see another Christian that's going through hard times and they stand firm, that should encourage you. That should bless you. That should comfort you. Say, wow, I know that's legit. I know that's real. And what they got, I want some of that. Rejoice in the steadfastness and be grateful for the steadfastness of others' faith. Also, be grateful for their sentimentality. I said it goes deeper than just 
emotional attachment, but there is emotional attachment amongst Christians. You truly care for one another. You can be comforted by the fact that there are sentimental connections. Look at verse 9. He says, For what thanks can we render to God? And here, Paul, again, every time he's giving thankfulness to this church, we've seen it a couple times already in this letter, he doesn't thank that church. We, we thank you so much for the joy we have because of you. He says, No, we thank God. God's the source of all the good stuff that's going on in your lives, all the good stuff that I, I feel about you. God is the source of this because it's supernatural. And we thank God. Verse 9, What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice? There's the noun and the verb together. The joy with which we rejoice. There's a lot of it. Before our God on your account. So Paul says, every time we go to the Lord, we are so grateful. We thank God for you. We thank God for the joy you put in my heart and my life. What a tremendous comfort it is to think about you and your commitment to Jesus. I thank God for the joy He gives to me that you are persevering in the faith. I look out on this congregation and I know some of the struggles that many of you are going through and to know that you are steadfast. I can breathe a sigh of relief and I can thank God for the joy that you give to me and what a source of comfort it is to me to know that you walk firm in your faith to the Lord Jesus, grateful for their sentimentality, but also grateful for their sanctification. Verse 10, Paul says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly. Wow, what a, what, a, what a phrase there. Night and day keep praying most earnestly. A glimpse into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. It's, it's, it's night and day. It's all the time. It's consistent. He keeps praying. It's fervent. It's, it's earnestly. Night and day. We keep praying most earnestly. What? That we may see your face. Paul I can't wait to see you all again. He said, the, the, the enthusiasm I had, the, the, the joy of, of being with you, and now this, this expectation, this eagerness to see you, it's just ramped up. He says, we, we want to see your faith. Why? We may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, wait a minute. Paul was just comforted by their faith. Now he's saying it's deficient. It's not what he's saying. He said, as Christians, there's always room to grow. There were some things about their lifestyles that he's about to address in this letter. There are some things about their doctrine he's about to address in this letter. There were some things they didn't quite have right yet. Some things he needed to tweak. And Paul says, we can't wait to see you again so that we might complete what is, what is lacking in your faith. You know, the, the truth is, as Christians, we are always to be growing. The process of sanctification, to be, to be molded and crafted and, and chiseled into the image of God, into the image of His Son. It's an ongoing process. And we are, we are grateful when we see that in the lives of others. When I see some of you all stepping out in faith and say, you know, I've never taught Sunday school before, but... I think the Lord's leading me to this. Or I've never worked with kids on Wednesday nights. But I feel the Lord's leading me to this. 
And I've seen the evidence of that just in the past few weeks. And what joy it brings me to know that you are growing in your faith, that you are being sanctified. And we should be comforted when we see that in the lives of others. It's importance of ongoing discipleship, even after you're saved. That's why Sunday school is so important, folks. That's why I'm always harping on Sunday school. It is a tremendous way for you to grow in your faith and your commitment to Jesus. Through small group fellowship, you begin to invest yourself in the lives of others, and they do in you. And you're concerned about their spiritual well-being, and you are comforted by their spiritual well-being. It's so crucial to continue to be discipled There's always room. There's always something more to learn about God. And the more you learn about God, I always say, the more reason you have to fall deeper in love with God. That's what sanctification does. Paul was concerned about their spiritual well-being as he was separated from them. You know, back in 1970, the Apollo 13 mission was launched to the moon. Maybe some of y'all remember that. Maybe some of y'all, like me, have seen the movie. He wasn't around at that time, but it's based on a true story. You know, the launch was successful, and they were headed towards the moon, and suddenly there was an unexpected explosion. And some of the equipment began to malfunction, and it was determined they, they couldn't land on the moon. That, that mission to land on the moon was aborted, and now the mission was to return those astronauts safely to home. And all the the engineers at NASA and all the experts began to scramble under pressure trying to figure out how are we going to make this work. And and so they worked and they labored and and it came together the plan they were going to orbit the moon and then slingshot back towards the earth and to do so with, with minimal power. They needed to preserve as much energy as they could to to sustain life in that machine. And it got to the point where they were about to enter into the, re-enter into the earth's atmosphere. And there's always a, a period of time during re-entry where there's a communications blackout. Where, where mission control can't speak to the astronauts. And the astronauts can't speak to mission control. And there was this period of uncertainty because the, the, the heat shield was damaged during that explosion. They didn't know if the astronauts were going to successfully enter the orbit or whether they were going to burn up and die. And it got to the point where there was the communications blackout, and because of the trajectory they were on, the communication blackout was to last longer than normal. And so there was this period of uncertainty. Mission Control kept calling out, Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read us? Odyssey, this is Houston, can you read us? Odyssey was the name of the, uh, of the, uh, of the ship. And if you remember the scene in the movie, Mission Control was, was completely silent. Hundreds of people deathly silent. And, and children in classrooms and, 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 and spouses and families and homes, everything was completely silent. And, and the communications blackout lasted for a minute and a half longer than they thought it was going to. And so that great anxiety, that concern began to well up even more. And then there's that scene in the movie finally where the, the static comes through and, and Tom Hanks' character speaks through and says, uh, Houston, it's good to see you again. And, and suddenly the, the whole room in Mission Control just erupts in celebration and all the homes and all the classrooms begin to erupt in celebration and there's this tremendous joy that they were so concerned about those they hadn't heard from to know that they were okay. 
that it was all going to be all right, that all the labor that they spent into this plan to bring those astronauts back home safely, all that labor was not in vain. And it worked. And they were excited. I think that somehow, in a way of what Paul felt to a degree, being separated, there was that communication blackout. Not knowing what's going on back in Thessalonica. I wonder if their faith is going to survive or not. Since Timothy waits anxiously, waiting, 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 leaving Athens, going to Corinth, waiting. But now that Timothy has come, the joy that Paul expresses in his heart. It's an example for us. We ought to make the spiritual well-being of others a top priority in your life. And you know, if you're going to do that, it's going to take some effort on your part. It's going to take an investment on your part. But you know what? Spiritual investments yield rewards. Spiritual investments yield rewards. It, it's hard to attach yourself to someone and care so deeply about their well-being. It makes you vulnerable. Because if, if, if their faith wavers, it, it hurts. But that investment that you pour into the life of another Christian, that concern can be the greatest source of joy that God blesses you with in your relationships here on earth. A great source of comfort to know that they are walking with the Lord as they should be. That separation anxiety, it is real. But whenever you find that investment yields that reward, what great joy you will have. What blessings you will miss if you don't invest yourself into the spiritual well-being of others. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much.